welcome. This audio broadcast will begin shortly. Please prepare. This audio broadcast will begin shortly. Please prepare. This audio broadcast will begin shortly. Please prepare. Lock your windows. They can see you. They are coming. Do not look at the sky. It is their domain. We welcome them. Safety in numbers. The audio broadcast will commence now. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Plot Twist, the podcast about everything storytelling. I'm your host, Oliver Johns. I'm an actor, writer, and I love myself a little bit of horror. Ever since I watched Alien when I was 14, I have been as enthusiastic about the genre as Pennywise with a severe case of dance fever. But my love for horror doesn't just stop at films or books, it stretches out into the far corners of the internet, and more specifically, YouTube. As of now in 2024, YouTube is the online home of fantastic horror shorts and series. In fact, directors like Carl Edward Ball, who made 2022's amazing experimental horror film Skinnamarink, made their start on YouTube and used it as a launchpad to bigger and much more terrifying things. But Ball's mainstream film success doesn't devalue any other horror creators on YouTube, and I want to shine a light on some of these exponentially talented artists in this episode, and also explore the influences that made their work so good. And before we push on, I would like to acknowledge the Palawa and Pakana people as the traditional owners of Luchawita, Tasmania, the land in which I work, live, and create. I pay my deepest respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. This land has been, and always will be, Aboriginal land. I usually have the acknowledgement at the beginning of the video, but I wanted to set the vibe with that creepy little intro, so I thought I'd just put it here. It's always important. Through YouTube, we have now been introduced to the wonderful world of ARGs, alternate reality games, and the popular subgenre of analog horror. This stuff is everywhere, and thanks to YouTube channels like Wendigoon, Nightmine, Nexpo, and of course our king theorist MatPat, the genre has exploded in popularity. These guys have made it their mission to supply us with disturbing and creepy YouTube channels that will keep us awake at night without us actually having to watch the channels ourselves, and I love them for that. However, for this episode, I had to dive into the deep end and actually watch the episodes. Yeah, I, I've seen some shit. <laughs> Now you've already heard me mention terms like ARG and analog horror, and you might be wondering, what the hell is he talking about? Well, I'm here to give you the rundown. Believe it or not, the roots of these two mediums reach far back to the internet's infancy, and even stretch out into films from the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, this stuff didn't just pop out of nowhere a few years ago, it's been around for a long time. So, to kick things off, what is an ARG? Well, the acronym, like I said, stands for Alternate Reality Game, a genre of online game where a fictional storyline is written and presented as if it were really happening in our world. This creative decision crafts a metafictional narrative that blurs reality and fiction together, creating a story that has real stakes and presence in our minds. ARGs can vary widely in scope. Some are only limited to one website, like YouTube, like most of the ones I'm going to mention in this episode, while some stretch over to many different platforms. Some have interactive game-like elements that have been specifically created for the story, while some just use the native features of a website like YouTube's comments section or unlisted videos. 
ARGs of the past, like The Beast, a game made for Steven Spielberg's 2001 film AI, which is widely considered by many to be the first internet ARG, have even incorporated real-life elements like hidden locations, billboard advertisements, and even organized anti-Android protests in major cities to discreetly promote the film. I mean, talk about commitment. There is so much to talk about, as the ARG format is very open-ended and it is constantly evolving. However, the principle that endures throughout all good ARGs is that there cannot be any element of the story that breaks immersion. If anything tears away that metafictional facade, it just becomes less fun for all of us. An ARG shouldn't present itself as a game, rather it should appear as a real-life situation that the player just happens to stumble upon. I also find horror stories to be far more effective when they prey on our collective fear of the unknown, and because the ARG initially emerged with an air of mystery and suspense to it, the medium tends to overlap with the genre of horror pretty often. I'm sure that quite a few of you listening know what analogue horror is, and you've probably fallen into the genre like I have, but for those of you who aren't familiar with it, Man, do I envy you. This episode only serves as an introduction to the genre, but if you think that this is your kind of thing after finishing listening, you're going to be obsessed. Analog horror is a sub-genre of found footage, a very well-known and popular film genre. Found footage is, of course, the filmmaking technique of presenting a film as if it were recovered recordings originally done by the film's characters. Alternatively, Analog horror takes the principles of found footage, but mostly does away with featuring visible characters. Instead, the footage is often made to resemble official media, such as TV broadcasts, employee training tapes, and police archives. Analog horror emulates the look of, you guessed it, analog media from the late 20th century, such as VHS tapes, FM radio, CRT slash tube televisions, camcorders, etc. The aesthetic also proves to be practical, as it obscures, blurs, and distorts images that are often good for scares, and this distortion is caused by signal corruption from some sort of unknown entity. Alex Kister, the creator of YouTube's most popular ARG, the Mandela Catalog, said that he wanted to make jump scares that caused a physiological reaction rather than a psychological reaction. I could contend with this because whenever I watch Mandela Catalog, I always get chills and I just want to rock back and forth in a little ball in terror. Analog horror is unpredictable, foreign, yet also nostalgic for technology that is long since dead. Having grown up with camcorders, VHS tapes, and CRT TVs myself, I am usually nostalgic for this kind of tech, but whenever I'm watching analog horror, that nostalgia kind of melts away. YouTube is the home of analog horror and hosts many long-running channels within the genre. To maintain immersion, the channels often pose as something they're not. Local 58 poses as a public access channel, while Gemini Home Entertainment appears as a compilation of VHS tapes from its eponymous distributor. The aforementioned The Mandela Catalog collects videos from various sources like police reports, documentaries, dashcam footage, corrupted religious cartoons, and more. YouTube has allowed so many talented artists out there to use the site to their advantage. These creators utilize every single function on the site to turn it into a metafictional jigsaw puzzle waiting to be solved. And I love this method because it is such a clever way to tell a story. However, this approach is nothing new, and like I mentioned before, it tracks back far into the 90s as the internet was only a tiny little baby. In 1999, the year of Jar Jar Binks, Keanu Reeves, and Spike Jones's being John Malkovich, a little film called The Blair Witch Project took the internet by storm with its groundbreaking marketing campaign. 
This campaign inspired the analog horror genre, shot ARGs into the stratosphere, and was a trailblazer in merging fiction and reality online. If you haven't managed to watch The Blair Witch Project yet, and you absolutely should, the opening text of the film sums it up pretty well. In October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. Just like this opening crawl, the Blair Witch Project's marketing campaign created uncertainty among the public, and it pushed a metafictional story that threw everyone for a loop as the internet was in its early days, so there was limited information about the film. A year before Blair Witch's release, directors Daniel Mirick and Eduardo Sanchez launched a website called www.blairwitch.com. The website was a homemade-looking conspiracy blog, detailing the film's fictional legend of the Blair Witch and the originating town of the myth. The site also featured content like found footage, missing persons posters for the film's actors, and even listed them, Heather, Mike, and Josh, as missing, presumed dead. And fun fact, these posters were so believable that fans sent sympathy cards to the actors' parents in the mail. I know. Three weeks before the actual movie was released, a fake documentary, The Curse of the Blair Witch, aired in order to further push the film's presence. Detailing the disappearances of the film's characters and cinematic trailers for the film were only shown on college campuses. Through all these marketing efforts, The Blair Witch Project felt like far more than just a random indie horror film made for just $35,000. It was an experience that redefined what it meant to sit in a theatre and watch a movie. Viewers were none the wiser as to what was really going on, so they just believed they were watching a true story about three filmmakers who disappeared while searching for a witch in the woods. And that ending. Oh my god, that ending. Following the release of The Blair Witch Project, many films tried to emulate Mirak and Sanchez's success. None came closer to it than Batman director Matt Reeves' found footage sci-fi thriller Cloverfield, released in 2008. Like Blair Witch, Cloverfield's marketing was in-depth, believable, and encouraged audiences to take part in a super-immersive story. Of course, people knew this was fake this time around, because the internet, you know, fully existed in 2008. Cloverfield follows a group of friends who are caught in a brutal attack from a gigantic alien creature in New York City. The audience experiences the creature's rampage through a found-footage POV, which heightens the realism, danger, and tension. On July 4th, 2007, viewers of a cinematic masterpiece, Transformers, were shown a preview for a mysterious movie that had no information other than a release date, 18th of January, 2008. We see a party, an earthquake, and footage of a news reporter speaking of a monster. We see more explosions, and then finally it cuts to a shot of the head of the Statue of Liberty crashing to the ground. I think it was safe to say that viewers in cinemas around the world were intrigued, and theories ran wild. Some thought it was a Godzilla reboot, while some thought it was a film for the TV series Lost due to its association with J.J. Abrams, but little did people know that there was plenty of info to find about Cloverfield, they just needed to know where to look. And you know where I'm going with this, of course Cloverfield had an ARG. The movie's characters had personal MySpace pages, websites were created for in-universe brands like the drink Slusher and the oil excavation company Tugruato, the later being integral to the reason as to why the alien is in New York in the first place. Email subscribers would get underwater sonar images of a monster heading towards Manhattan, and of course, a website was made, the 18th of January.com, and if you stay on the website for six minutes, you would hear the monster's roar. And this is only the tip of the iceberg, because like Blair Witch, Cloverfield had a plethora of lore to dig into. I'm sorry, Matt Pat fans, I just had to. <laughs> I just I just had to.
So in my opinion, the Blair Witch Project and films that followed like Cloverfield started it all when it came down to ARGs and analog horror. But what followed suit? Well, we are lucky to live in a time where YouTube is giving us plenty of horror to watch, and I want to talk about a few that use the winning formula to success. However, one series I'm going to mention didn't quite understand how to make a successful ARG and flopped hard as a result. If you want to check out any of these once you finish the episode, the links will be in the show notes. The first series is a legendary, if now outdated one, Marble Hornets, which is an ARG based on the Slenderman creepypasta. The series was uploaded on YouTube between the years 2009 and 2014 over two channels and spawned many follow-ups and even a comic, but for this episode, I'm going to talk about the main show only. The series follows Jay Merrick, played by series co-creator Troy Wagner, a man attempting to find out what happened to his friend, Alex, played by series co-creator Joseph DeLarge, during the shooting of a film project. Ring any bells? Alex abruptly ended the project after three months, left the film tapes with Jay, and completely cut contact with him. But then, three years later, Jay watches the tapes and documents them on YouTube. He learns that Alex's film was plagued by a figure known as the Operator, who constantly stalked Alex and caused him to develop severe paranoia. As Jay becomes more involved with the case, he begins receiving cryptic responses from another YouTube channel named Tothiark, while also being hunted by the Operator. Marble Hornet's decision to focus on Slenderman makes the appeal of the series kind of archaic by today's standards, but the series still holds up pretty well all these years later. Firstly, Marble Hornets is creepy. And I mean bone-chillingly creepy. I was never really too scared of Slenderman back in the day, but Marble Hornets took the concept and made it something far more incomprehensible and surreal. It also worked really well as an ARG, and because I had no clue as to what an ARG was back then, I genuinely thought it was real for a little while until a big white CGI Slenderman turned up and kind of ruined the illusion for me. Marble Horse was contained to YouTube, with its two channels maintaining continuity with one another. It was a constant game of cat and mouse as creators Wagner and DeLarge made amazing use of the comments, unlisted videos, and secret codes being given by the mysterious Tothiark. All of these narrative threads helped Marble Hornets in gaining a devoted fanbase, with the audience's participation being a driving force for the series' success. Viewers were inadvertently encouraged to research and theorize because the series was packed with compelling and somewhat convoluted lore, and because of its place in the internet, Marble Hornets felt completely grounded in what it was trying to achieve. But Marble Hornets was only the start, and things were only gonna get weirder. Enter This House Has People In It, a short film that had an accompanying ARG. Written and directed by Alan Resnick, creator of another YouTube series titled Alan Tutorial, This House Has People In It is a surrealist horror short film that aired on Adult Swim in 2016, showing at the strange time of 4am every day between March 14th and 19th. The film has composed a surveillance footage of a suburban family that descends into chaos as the eldest daughter begins phasing through the floor, and a creepy pink woman is stalking the family's house. It is presumed through the film's opening text that this family is the 437th test subject for some sort of human behaviour experiment. This house, as I'm going to refer to it, because the title's quite long, is enigmatic, perplexing, and downright disturbing. I first heard about it a couple years back and became kind of entranced by it. I wanted to uncover every little detail, every minute nugget of information that could help me in solving Alan Resnick's weird little project. This search led me to a rabbit hole that I completely fell into. 
Clues hidden throughout the film itself and its YouTube description led me to a website related to a fictional security company called AB Surveillance Solutions. This website contained a lot of lore, over two hours worth of video and audio files, numerous password protected documents and messages hidden in the website's source code, like in the actual code of the website, you had to go into the code, it was so cool. It also contained a bootleg episode of a fictional TV show named Sculptor's Playground and its associated website run by the show's host, played by Alan Resnick himself. Unfortunately, the only thing I can do with this information is just kind of tell you about it, because sadly the AB Surveillance website has now been taken down and reverted back to being adultswim.com, I think as of last year. This is my first experience with trying to solve an ARG from the ground up, and since I was doing this in quarantine and I was going a bit crazy, this search felt very real to me. The metafictional story of this house's people in it made me feel like I was looking into an alternate universe, where COVID didn't happen, but it was also something that I shouldn't have been able to access. It's probably one of the stranger horror shorts you'll find online, and I really hope that Alan Resnick comes back with another banger in the future. Another great YouTube series that you should definitely keep an eye out for is Local 58, a still ongoing ARG. Created by Chris Straub, Local 58 is presented as footage of a fictional public access TV channel located in Mason County, West Virginia. We don't have public access channels in Australia, and I don't know who watches free TV anymore anyway, but I know that many small towns in the US still have them. Over a period of decades, the channel is continuously hijacked with nightmarish and surreal broadcasts. What is the source of these broadcasts? That's up for you to decide, but it is theorised that the series is depicting a slow alien invasion, with various references to an all-present they and referring to outer space as their domain. Local 58 manages to make the night sky scary, and that is an achievement. In 2021, a website called Local58.tv was created to continue the storyline outside of YouTube. Most of the website is corrupted, and its information is unintelligible, so it's up to you to scour around for clues and solve things yourself. A really cool thing about the site is that it features a device similar to the Wayback Machine, a well-known service that allows you to look through the history of a website. This rip-off Wayback Machine allows you to look through the storied history of a Local 58 channel, seeing its transformation from analog to digital broadcasting, and its many different programs it has aired over the years. When the series began, there was also a phone number that you could contact, and when you'd call it, it would respond with this lovely little message. Warning for headphone users, it might be a little bit loud. spooky radio static i know it isn't much but it is still so cool that stuff like this exists and i'm pretty sure i can hear something growling or breathing in there i won't say much more but like i said local 58 is still ongoing and you can watch it all over on youtube and i highly recommend that you do so although he hasn't uploaded in over a year what are you doing chris the website local58.tv is still up too and i've linked both of them in the show notes now to my personal favorite ARG slash analog horror series. This is the one that keeps me up at night and makes me excited for every single upload. 
I'm, of course, talking about the Mandela Catalog, created by YouTuber Alex Kister in 2021. Set in the early 1990s to the late 2000s, the Mandela Catalog takes place in the fictional Mandela County, which is terrorized by the presence of shape-shifting creatures named Alternates. These Alternates are led by an entity posing as the biblical angel Gabriel, and they are near-immortal beings that aim to kill humanity by psychologically torturing them to the point of insanity and often death. This state of mind is colloquially known in-universe as MAD, or Metaphysical Awareness Disorder. All an alternate has to do is lean into its victim's ear, whisper unbearable truths to them, and then they die. That concept to me is just terrifying and unfathomable, but you do hear what they whisper, and the alternates, you know, they do spits and bars. The series is a compilation of police reports, public broadcasts, documentaries, phone calls, dashcam footage, audio dossiers, and much, much more. Physical characters are barely featured as the horror of the series comes from seeing the world of Mandela County from a voyeuristic point of view. The feelings I get when I watch this series is like no other horror property I've watched before. I'm someone who gets chills and my eyes water when someone genuinely scares me, or something genuinely scares me, and I swear that while I'm watching Mandela, that visceral feeling sticks with me the entire time. To me, as a horror fan, the series is just perfectly made. The editing, sound design, and visual style is just top-notch, and it just makes the experience even more immersive and terrifying. Now we get to the final ARG, and this one is very different from all the others because it's bad. And I think it's the perfect example of how not to write an ARG. My Dad's Tapes is a series that was uploaded onto YouTube in 2011 to 2013. A man named Chris uploads a video titled My Dad's Tapes Number 1 Introduction. In this video, Chris explains that he received a few items after his father, Gerald, died. Among the items was a large collection of VHS tapes. Predictably, these tapes aren't your typical home videos, as they all contain footage of a masked serial killer, possibly Gerald, killing various victims and leaving cryptic clues. Disturbed by this discovery, Chris begins investigating the tapes and several other murders linked to his dead father, but he continuously attracts the attention of a YouTube user named Do Not Continue, who quickly reveals himself to be just as dangerous as the killer in the tapes. Now on the surface, my dad's tapes sound like it could be an effective yet run-of-the-mill ARG, right? Pretty good hook, a mysterious other YouTube channel threatening the protagonist with codes and violent videos, and an ongoing mystery that could keep audiences engaged for years! Ticks all the boxes, right? I mean, it does, but unfortunately my dad's tapes fails as an ARG, and fundamentally misunderstands how to craft a good one. I mean, right off the bat, Fundamentally, Chris, the series' protagonist, is just plain uninteresting and kind of stupid. He just goes along with things and flits from point A to point B with no real agency or motivation other than finding out why his dad had these tapes. As the series continues, Chris continuously gets himself into really dangerous and life-changing situations and he just kind of nonchalantly goes about it. It's kind of funny. It never really gets any scarier and he just becomes the human equivalent of soft sandpaper. I mean, at least regular sandpaper has texture. Structurally, My Dad's Tapes also fails to maintain its viewership. 
well into the series' life, the uploads become repetitive and predictable. Each video is just kill after kill after kill, with no real additions to the mystery at hand other than, uh-oh, here it goes, killing again, what are we gonna do? But towards the end of its first season, My Dad's Tapes committed a ARG sin by introducing poorly acted live-action segments that are shot like a student film. Well, a shitty student film I might have made in, like, seventh grade. All of these segments ruin every bit of credibility and tension the previous uploads built, and the weak writing doesn't support much either. The series' very drawn-out and convoluted conclusion is shot in this cinematic style, and it consists of two shots that cut back and forth as Chris and the main antagonist engage in wooden, cliché dialogue about legacy, and how Chris must become a killer to continue his father's legacy, because it's important or something? I don't know, my attention span drained far quicker than usual with this one. The job of an ARG is to provide its audience with an immersive metafictional experience, and if it fails to do so, then it just becomes less interesting as a result. My Dad's Tapes shot itself in the foot in one swift motion and lost all of my interest in watching the second season. I mean, of course, I didn't watch all of the Channel 60 uploads to begin with, as most of them just ended up being the same thing again and again and again. And compared to its contemporaries, My Dad's Tapes is just underwhelming and disappointing. So I hope it's clear to you now how much I love ARGs and analog horror. The genre is alive and thriving more than ever, and I hope that you take the time to check out some of the series or films that I mentioned in this episode. If you want to start off on a good foot, I would of course check out The Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield, and then head over to YouTube and check out either the Mandela catalogue or Local 58 to get a good feeling for the type of vibe you want from analog horror. Do you want something a bit creepier and a bit more supernatural, or do you want something a bit more subtle and, and kind of quiet in its approach. Then just fall into the rabbit hole from there. Have fun, if you dare. And that brings yet another episode of the Plot Twist to a close. Thank you so much for listening. I am so excited that the show has gathered more steam, and I'm keen for you all to see what else I've been cooking. Be sure to follow the podcast Instagram account, the plot twist underscore podcast to keep up with updates related to the show. And you can also follow me on my personal Instagram account, Oliver underscore Johns, if you want to see what else I get up to in my spare time. The plot twist is written, edited, and hosted by myself. And as always, everything I mentioned in today's episodes is listed in the show notes. Also, the show's cover art and logo was done by Jackie Del Pio. You can also check her work out through a couple links in the show notes as well. Remember to follow the podcast on your favourite platform. I've now managed to put the show up on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and of course the show is still on Spotify. I'm still working on putting the podcast on more suitable platforms so you can listen to the show easier. Also remember to click subscribe and maybe chuck it a 5 star rating, as that lets the algorithm know that I'm making good stuff. I'll see you in the next episode where I'll be talking about my favourite film trilogy of all time, Richard Linklater's The Before Trilogy. Yep, I'm jumping from horror to talking about a trilogy of romantic drama films. I'll see you next time. Bye! Thank you for listening to this audio broadcast. This presentation has now concluded. Repeat, this presentation has now concluded. Subscribe to the show. Like it. Share it. Run. 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 Do not look at the sky. They are waiting for you. Run. 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 Do not forget to subscribe.